The communist motto is from each according to his ability to each according to his needs. I hear that, but I don't know what the fuck that means. (laughs) (laughs) Today we are talking about the fight for equality and social progress insofar as the communist party is concerned. I got a lot of anger surrounding this topic. I wasn't feeling it when we did our discussion breakdown, but when you said to me uh, before we hit record about how I should probably not use communist in the title of the podcast episode, I'm just like, what is wrong with this country? Okay, so here's the thing. I did not grow up hearing all the anti-communist propaganda. I was not exposed to that. I did grow up hearing a lot of anti-communists or not hearing about it so much, not in my family, but in school, we learned about communist China, communist Russia or socialist Cuba, also communist Cuba, Cuba. (laughs) right? And it was all negative connotations and it was always the worst things Plus, we had, you know, we learned about the Red Scare in the 1910s. We learned about the McCarthyism in the 1950s. They hammered that home while we were in school in our very formative years. So I know me personally, I was like always sort of like, oh, gosh, communism must equal bad, even though as an adult, I now realize that everything is nuanced. Well, and what's bad is authoritarian government, Mm -hmm. no matter what the goddamn economic system is. Exactly. It doesn't mean that you'll have an authoritarian government if you are a communist country, and it does not mean you will not have one if you are not a communist country. So I do think just the way it's portrayed and just the portrayal of capitalism and the democratic republic that we have being at the top of the best of the best that they sort of reinforce and uh, indoctrinate early American children with who then grow up to be American adults. I think that plays a big part in why. But I found it to be really interesting that you were unaware of this. Researching this topic, (laughs) I think when we were doing the research, you were like, you know, we're going to be on a FBI watch list now, right? And I'm just like, are we really? Listen, Like, listen, the purpose of this episode, okay, is not to make it seem like communism is the best or even an optimal political system. I mean, mm. all political and economic systems have their advantages and drawbacks. All of them, exactly. even capitalism, as we know, because we live this shit. But yeah. saying that communism is bad because of governments like the USSR and the PRC and uh, Cuba is like saying that capitalism is bad because of the slave trade or like the prison industrial complex, right? Those things do not make a political system bad. That is a very extremist way to apply these different political and economic systems, rather. Mm -hmm. You can have these systems in place and not have these bullshit ideologies applied to it, because what makes them fucked up is when people come along and they take what Karl Marx said and then they apply it to a totalitarian or authoritarian government and not to a democratic government. And so... Yeah, you get some horrifying things that happen. But again, like I said, same thing with capitalism. Capitalism, you don't have to apply it to an economy based on slave labor, but we sure the fuck did that. But we didn't, though. 
I would what? argue that we didn't because I will acknowledge we this. didn't do what we did not combine the ideas as a country, capitalism and slavery. It wasn't taught to us like that. Even if it was not taught to our ancestors like that, that is the way that capitalism was applied over here. I get what you're saying, but I'm saying that once everyone started going to school and things like that, they did not equate capitalism with slavery the way they equated communism and poverty. And I recognize that. Yeah. Regardless, I think my analogy still stands. Okay. <laughs> you don't agree. I get what you're saying, but I don't agree. You're not wrong. All I'm saying is that it wasn't until recently that people started bringing to the public stage. And maybe that's because of the advancement and stuff like social media and, and podcasts like ours and things like that. But prior to when people, when we were taught about capitalism, think about what you learned about capitalism in school, right? You were not taught, I got it start in the transatlantic slave trade. You weren't well, taught because that. of course it didn't. Of course. I'm just saying for this country, it did. But, but communism didn't. I guess I'm not, I'm just not going to understand because I was not taught about communism in the way that a lot of communism that a lot of people were. I actually took mm -hmm. economics classes. Mm hmm. Not that other in people college, haven't. Right. In high school. In high school. Mm -hmm. You see, I didn't take economics until college. It wasn't available to us. So I learned about communism, socialism, all of that in regular history class. In high I'm sure school. I did, too. I'm not going to remember it, but I'm sure I heard those terms in world history and U.S. history classes. Mm -hmm. There's not an anti-capitalist ideology here. And so, of course, it's not going to be taught yeah. about the same way that communism is. But I'm just turning this idea on its head and saying that calling communism inherently bad because of three countries' governments is like calling capitalism bad because of any form of slave trading, not just slavery the way it took place here in the United States or still right. takes place here in the United States, right? Because right. slavery has occurred in countries all over the world. Right. But that doesn't make any one economic or political system inherently bad. There are extremist forms of all of these different systems. Mm -hmm. And the issue with humans is we cannot escape. We'll talk about it more at the end of the episode, but it just seems like we really cannot escape this urge to be hierarchical. And we this can't. is the downfall in so many different political and economic setups, not just communism, but it's we, we cannot people. get away from it. Like you said, no system is inherently good or bad. It is how people apply it. And you're always going to have that person even if things are going well, you're always going to have that person who wants more, wants more power, wants more resources. We can argue that yeah, later. We'll get into that. So anyway, we are going to talk about some history of the Communist Party insofar as the fight for equality. I am focusing on black liberation and women's liberation. My interest was sparked in this particular topic because there's been a few black beauty highlights I've done. And they were very active in the Communist Party. My most recent one that I'm aware of is Claudia Jones, who was my Pan-African highlight. She was a Pan-Africanist, but also a communist. She went to prison over this bullshit and everything. Another Black Beauty highlight I've done, one of my first ones was Bayard Rustin, and he was a civil rights leader. He helped 
organized the March on Washington, and um, he was into communism as well. And I'm actually going to talk about why these people got into it. Because listen, I'm going to keep hammering this home throughout this episode. I do not think communist government is the way to go. I don't think we should be a communist government. I'm not going to join the Communist Party USA. I really just want to talk about why people got into it. As much as it was demonized, why then did women and black people and folks from other communities and identities decide, oh, this sounds like where we need to be at. We need to join the Communist Party. What so was the that's my goal with this episode. Yeah. And also to just give nuance to it, because it's never just black and white. So we're going to start, I guess, to help. Yes. Narrow it down. As as we We're going to start with some definitions. <laughs> to define communism, I first have to define socialism because communism arose out of socialism. This is why we cannot have nice things because there's always factions. That's essentially the origin of the Communist Party. It is a faction of the more radical socialist movement. Socialism is a political and economic system in which property and the means of production are owned in common and is typically controlled by the state or government. It is based on the idea that common or public ownership of resources and means of production leads to a more equal society. The definition of communism is not all that different. Communism is a political and economic ideology that advocates for a classless system in which the means of production are owned equally by everyone and private property is basically non-existent. Basically, the difference between the two is socialism. Everyone owns everything, but it's distributed or controlled by the government. Basically, like the government's like everybody put all the stuff in the pot, you know, everybody throw in a dollar and then we'll distribute it versus communism is everyone put their earnings and whatever. I'm choosing earnings because it's easy for people to think about. Everyone put their earnings together and there is no this is mine, this is yours, this is ours, and take what you need based on what you contribute. I know it's very, very similar. I'm just going to say, the way you explain that, I'm just like, I'm not sure we even fully grasp. Not completely, but that's the, the best definitions of these systems. I mean, if anybody wants to correct us, if anybody is passionate about economics or politics listening and is like, y'all fucked that up, email us I squared, I-S-Q-U-A-R-E-D, hello at gmail.com. And you can email us and be like, hey, y'all fucked that up or you weren't as off base as you thought, whatever. Whatever. Because listen, we're here to learn. We're here yes. to share our perspective, sure. But we're also here to learn. We are not, we know there's always room for improvement. So if that's not correct, by all means, let us know. We will read your email in a podcast episode and say, hey, we messed this up and this is what this listener said. And yeah. we will stand corrected. We don't have any shame in that. No, no, no. Because I'd much rather be corrected and get proper information than just be out here walking around looking sounding dumb. Yes. So. You can see why communism 
arose from socialism. I think a big issue when I think about a communist system and you talk Mm. about a classless system is so with communism, I actually don't think everybody gets out of it whatever they contribute. It doesn't matter what you contribute. If you are a doctor in a communist system, you get the same out of it as me, an animal welfare employee doing kennel tech and stuff. Whereas I think in a socialist system, there is the distribution of resources, except it's not like everybody gets the same sized piece of the pie, so to speak. I kind of think about it like our social security system, which is a social welfare program. Everybody does not get the same amount of money from the social security system. That is based on what you have put into the system insofar as something like Social Security disability or people who end up on Social Security in retirement, right? Like, a lot of that is based on what you have put into the system. Whereas in a communist setup of a Social Security program, you get the same amount I get, whether you were a doctor or an airline pilot or a McDonald's employee, whatever, right? Yes, So because I don't want to get too far off here, the communist motto is from each according to his ability to each according to his needs. I hear that, but I don't know what the fuck that means. (laughs) (laughs) From what I understand is if you're more needing, if you need more you might not have contributed as much. So say you are a person who cannot contribute as much because you have a severe disability. Say you can't go and harvest, but you can uh, lie down and you can knit, but you can't knit very fast, but you still have to eat. So they can't say, well, you didn't help with the harvest and you only knitted two socks. So you're only getting three kernels of corn. That's not fair. You are in more need because you have a severe disability and you can't contribute as much. So you would get more than somebody who can contribute more because they are not in as much need as you are. I understand what you're saying, but I actually don't think that's the way communism is intended to work insofar as a classless system. I think you get the same amount if you're severely disabled and you're unable to work or your, your work is not equal to that of your non-disabled counterpart, you still get the same amount of resources out of it as they do. I don't actually think you get more. So then... Equal distribution of resources is what communism is about. I hear you. Yes. I don't know, man. I will be 100% transparent. I failed economics twice. (laughs) I think I gotta be in economics. I was just like, this is not for me. Oh, God, we're struggling. (laughs) Listen, why don't we do this? Why don't we just talk about why some of our ancestors thought communism was a great thing? Sure. All right. Founded in 1919, the Communist Party USA has championed the struggles for democracy, labor rights, women's equality, racial justice, and peace for over 100 years. The Communist Party has a history in the progressive movement of the U.S. in struggles like the fight against Jim Crow segregation and the fight for women's empowerment and liberation. That's what we're going to focus on. Obviously, too, that party played a big role in the organizing of labor unions. And a lot of people don't talk about this, but a big aspect of the civil rights movement actually was... It wasn't just about rights for black people. It was also about rights for poor people and economic progress for people in general. 
that's a part of the civil rights movement that is not often highlighted. In 1928, the communist position internationally was that black Americans in the South had the right to self-determination, meaning they had the right to create their own nation in the South. And a lot of black people were excited by this because, as we've talked about before, emancipation and um, the end of slavery was only the beginning of black liberation here in the United States. But the overarching issues of white supremacy and anti-blackness were never addressed. And so I think a lot of black people got excited when the Communist Party started here in Alabama, I believe, because they were like, oh, wait, here's some people trying to dismantle the bullshit. They're trying to revamp the system and think about the fact that this is pre-integration or pre-desegregation. So I'm sure a lot of black people were very excited to, like, have their own country on this land where we could operate in peace and not have to deal with the nonsense related to Jim Crow segregation. One of the most prominent leaders of the 20th century civil rights movement was William Patterson. He was born in California in 1891 to a mother who was born into slavery, and his dad was born on the Caribbean island of St. Vincent. And Patterson was a lawyer who devoted his life to the Communist Party and the struggle against racism and for working class unity. One of the most notable cases he worked on was the Scottsboro Nine case. We've brought this up before. And that was the case where nine black boys, uh, I want to say they were convicted of sexually assaulting two white women. They were falsely accused and they were all lynched, right? No, some of them got off. Oh, some of them some yeah. of them were let go? Yeah, some of them were let they go, were but they, acquitted? they were retried once or twice. It was wild. Oh, my God. Okay, yeah. I'm sorry. I have not done a deep dive into the Scottsboro Nine case. I apologize. Well, that's fine. I kind of don't want to. Those episodes are very um soul-scouring. Oh, history is so ugly. Okay, sometimes. Very much can be. So, anyway... The Scottsboro Nine case put the Communist Party in the national and international spotlight. This case is where the Communist Party out-organized the NAACP, and it actually gained the very reluctant respect of some of the NAACP leaders. The Communist Party actually used the Scottsboro Nine case as a stepping stone to, I want to say, get in good with the black community and show that they support black liberation and stand against Jim Crow segregation, stand against the violence against black people, the criminalization and demonization of black people. The Scottsboro case was also notable here because it exposed this split between the Communist Party and the NAACP. There was a source that said the NAACP head Walter White actually showed contempt for the defendants and their parents who were all from poor backgrounds. And he had this very apparent prejudice against black people who were not from the middle class. And listen, we are all too familiar with that from the NAACP because we talked about that shit when we talked about Claudette Colvin. Mm -hmm. There is some classism. Classism. All Mm. that. This is previous to the Claudette Colvin case. Hers was in the early 50s. This is not surprising that there is some classism in the NAACP. That's just so sad. How 
Erica, we can't escape hierarchy for shit. Oh my God. Uh, you just always got to think I'm not them niggas over there. Oh my mm, God. Always. It's always got to be. It's, the, it's human fucking nature. Oh, this, this species. Sick. This species is some bullshit. <laughs> I can't believe it. Okay. Another kick-ass thing that William Patterson did is he led the effort, did a lot of the research, and presented the We Charge Genocide petition to the United Nations in 1951. This was a petition charging the U.S. government with genocide against black people. Obviously, this gained international attention because it was presented to the U.N., and his petition got a lot of support from socialist countries and Western European countries who they were still racist, but not as blatant in their racism as the United States has been. We got racism and white supremacy and anti-blackness all down to a science over here. You know, I think it's really fucking hilarious, though, yes. because <laughs> Western Europeans and even like Australia and them, they yeah. fucking think that the U.S., even Canada, they're like, oh, the U.S. is just so disgraceful. And they're just so I'm like. Y'all realize y'all cousins, right? That too. Y'all doing the same damn thing. Y'all brought that over here. Y'all brought that shit over here. <laughs> God. Canada and Australia notwithstanding. But no, yes, no, from not the Canada same people. Y'all all from the same people. So I think it's really fucking hilarious how people love to just take a shit on the U.S. and be like, oh, the U.S. is so racist. Like, yeah, it's true. But y'all ain't no better. Anyways, go ahead. So this We Charge Genocide petition is attributed with some of the um, influence in dismantling Jim Crow segregation, legalized segregation in the United States. Right. That was presented in 51. There were a lot of landmark civil rights cases that took place in the 50s after this. So I found that interesting because that is something we don't hear about. No, I never have. They did a lot for a lot of different yes. demographics, and it's just not talked about. So it's not talk talked about. about. People are so busy focusing on shitting on China and Cuba and Russia when when there are actually some good things, some, some good, good things, things y'all, that came out of the different movements organized as a result of the Communist Party starting here in the United States and abroad. If you take nothing else, take the fact that nothing is ever absolute. It's not all good. It's not mm -hmm. all bad. We live our lives in shades of gray. Please understand that. I concur. I want to talk about the communist movement insofar as women's empowerment and women's liberation is concerned. This is really fascinating to me. Me like too. I said, I talked about Claudia Jones, and she was a badass. If you didn't listen to that Pan-African highlight, I'm going to link it in the show notes. So leading communist thinkers between 1880 and 1920 placed issues of women's emancipation and women equality at the center of the socialist agenda, because like Olivia said, communism arose out of socialism. So I think this period between 1880 and 1920 is when there was, I'm going to say, a fracturing between those two ideologies. Is that what you would say? Mm-hmm. Yeah. I was. So I want to get into talking about the way that communism had a positive impact in countries like Russia, China, and Cuba, which this is controversial for me to talk about, apparently, and I find that very fucking stupid. But my point in talking about this is to highlight this part of history that we just had no idea. and. I think here in the United States, we're very insular. Man, 
And so we are very good at demonizing anything that's not us, anything that's not us and not talking about the good that came out of it. And that's Mm -hmm. really hard. Okay, I understand this. Like, listen, I'm not putting Russia, China and Cuba up on a pedestal by sharing this information with you. I'm not saying that they're better countries than us. I'm not saying they're good countries at all. I'm just saying that these are some good things that resulted from communist involvement and activism in their government. Isn't it wild, though, yes. that in the American psyche of some people, rather, yes. that if you have anything good to say about <laughs> countries like China, Cuba, Russia, then that is tantamount to you saying they're better countries. Yeah, <laughs> it's like singing the praises of Adolf Hitler somehow. I think it's fucking wild. Like, no, no, no. I'm just pointing out facts. And they're like, oh, so you must love Cuba. <laughs> like, yeah, I know. I, I did say I was going to keep doing the disclaimer throughout this episode. I have to because I, what is <laughs> the people? Y'all, can y'all? God, it's just history. Okay, here we go. I'm going to just read through this. I'm ready for the hate. We ain't going to get nothing. Don't nobody contact us. Let's go. (sighs) Let's go. So the communisms of the Soviet Union, China, and Cuba prioritized gender equality for social transformation. In the 1920s, the USSR government moved to set up a legal framework guaranteeing legal equality for women including full citizenship, equal pay, and the right of divorce. And apparently the USSR demonstrated a higher level of equality in employment and education opportunities for women than most European countries during that period. Interesting. The Chinese Communist Party also emphasized the emancipation of women. Chinese communists were determined to dismantle the traditional family and marriage system that included practices like arranged marriage, domination by the mother-in-law, and subordination of the wife to the authority of the husband, which, of course, is a part of a lot of different traditional systems in different countries, not just China. They also aimed to put women in leadership positions within the party And the status of women in China has improved significantly since 1949 in terms of education, political participation, marital freedom, and economic independence. Cuba became a model for the developing world in its success in ending the oppression of women. Cuba changed its constitution and fundamental legal system to incorporate legal equality for women. And this positively impacted outcomes for the broad population of Cuban women in pretty much all segments of society. The percentages of women who are legislators, lawyers, doctors, scientists, and managers are among the highest in any country. Women represent a majority of Cubans in higher education, and Cuban women also experience high life expectancy and low infant mortality. So all of that blew my mind. And again, if anybody wants to challenge that, email, message us, blast us on social media. I'm okay with all of the above personally. Okay, I got this from a college's website, by the way. That was not from like a communist party propaganda machine think tank website. (laughs) 
Well, you know, those liberal colleges. Oh, yes. (laughs) I'm not saying that communism was 100% good, but these were some upsides that came out of communism in those countries' governments. Mm -hmm. And I will say, when it comes to the communist women's movement or just communism in relation to feminism and women's empowerment, the lasting impact for sure that they have had is the mobilizing of women in leadership. There was such a big push for women to get involved in politics, involved in economics, involved in social progress and any form of activism and government that they could. This is something I talked about in my Pan-African highlight on Claudia Jones. For sure, the Communist Party and communist ideology had a role in that. Obviously, yes, women were politically involved before that. I do think that the Communist Party in different areas of the world helped push for that, especially in what we like to call developing nations and island nations. Mm -hmm. This was huge because in a lot of those countries, patriarchy still had a really firm Uh, hold there. And so women really had to find a way to get into politics and government. And come on, the Communist Party had a huge role in making that happen. Mm -hmm. It did, but it gets none of the credit, especially here in the U.S. No, it does not get any of the credit. You can do a whole podcast alone deep diving into the reach of the Communist Party insofar as the fight for equality for lots of different peoples and communities. Right. They fought for literally everyone. They fought for the working class, gender equality, including LGBTQIA people. They fought for disabled people, everything. They are not given the credit Mm -mm. that they deserve or the acknowledgement, and not just here, although they did do all that here in the U.S., they also did this in other countries like you just expressed and was very successful and really helped to push those nations toward more progressive future. Progressive, yes. They Mm -hmm. were very progressive. And listen, there was sexism in the Communist Party. Oh, yeah. There was racism in the Uh Communist Party. Because people... Because it's made people. Of people. Yes, discrimination still existed. This is why you had to have a whole separate communist women's movement mm-hmm. because they couldn't just join the communist movement. They're like, oh, there's no separation between women's issues and men's issues. You still hear people spouting that bullshit today. Yeah, oh. they were talking about, I forget, a girl, I know her, her last name was Zetkin, but I can't remember her first name. But she wrote about basically how she and the other com- uh, women of the Communist Party had to fight to get heard and they were you know running into issues at the congresses where they had to fight for their turn to to speak or give their reports and stuff like that that does not detract from the fact that the communist party did a lot of good there was some positive influence Mm y'all i think it's funny it's good that you do not have that bias because we are biased against it we're taught to be biased against it here i'm really not biased against it it just is a system If it ain't a democracy, which that's not even 100% true or democratic republic, but if it's not democracy or capitalism, it ain't good. And that's just not true. I wanted us to share our thoughts on why um, communism ultimately 
hasn't worked out as a political and economic system and why it didn't do more for achieving equity, especially over here. Mm. (laughs) An aspect of capitalism is fighting to make it to the top or upward mobility, right? Like this is a huge aspect of a system that's set up that way. Yeah. That clashes with the communist ideal that there is no top. top. Everybody Mm -hmm. should make the same. Like I said, the doctor should make the same as the McDonald's employee in a communist system. And I think in the U.S., we are a country uniquely tied. It's not just us, but it's predominantly us. What you do is who you are. Yeah. I think a lot of Western countries are like that. I would argue that. But I would argue that we are kind of more so even than they are, because first being that, yes, we identify ourselves like if somebody hears, oh, oh, a doctor, oh, okay, automatically you're given more deference. Yes. Then like you work at McDonald's, what are you going to get a real job or? And that's why I use that as my example. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Like that's not, that ain't nothing like. What's wrong with you? Even your level of education, like, oh, you didn't go to college in some circles? That's sneered at. Hell, it's sneered at if you did go to college in some circles. Oh, so you think you're better than everybody else? Right? So there's always this class. And then there is the idea that everybody has the same opportunity. That is just not true. In a capitalist society, it's like, oh, you can be the next top person. All you have to do is work hard. But the system doesn't actually work like that. You might get one out of every, and I'm just making these numbers up, say out of every 10 million people, you might get one or two who really do get it out the mud, right? They come from the bottom and then they're CEOs of Fortune 500 companies. But for every one of those, there are thousands and thousands and thousands of people, if not millions, if not millions who will never have that story because it just it's not sustainable. You can't have a whole bunch of tops with nobody at the bottom. But nope. capitalism will have you thinking that if I just work hard enough, we have such a free open system. Anybody can make it. And it's not true. No, I do think that the reason that communism didn't work out here and why people view it as this big, bad demon, big, bad wolf mm-hmm. is because communism, the way it has been applied in Cuba, China and Russia is a system that is not based on well-being. That no. is the problem at the end of the day. You got a whole government set up and then you apply communism and the focus is not the well-being of the people. It's just about the resources. If yeah, if you don't have the resources and you don't have you don't have wholesome means to get those resources, the system is not gonna fucking work out. I mean, I think the way that Karl Marx laid communism out is very different from the way that it's been applied. I would because agree. the way he laid it out, there is supposed to be an equal distribution of resources so that the well-being of the people doesn't take a backseat to people's economic progress. Is economic progress, though, a tenet of communism? And I guess that's a thing, too. <sighs> no, no, because it's a classless, it's a classless system. system. And that's why I think if you've got a system set up for economic progress... You cannot apply communism. Yeah, you can't really apply communism very well. No. 
And then when you try to apply communism in these countries that are poorer countries on the outset and they don't have a means to get resources to equally distribute in the first place, if we have $5, it's great that there's not one person getting three while 10 other people get the other two. That's great. But if you spread $5 amongst 11 people, they still are going to be doing terribly. Like we should all suffer together. And I think that's the idea that, that's that the people issue. hear when they say communism. Like, oh, yes. so we all just going to be broken poor together. Huh? Yes, that's what people think. <laughs> like- exactly. I agree. <laughs> people don't think of like, oh, we can all be millionaires. It's, oh, we're no. all going to be <laughs> living on five cents a day. Right. When you think of a communist Eating system. moldy bread. Yeah. I mean, but unfortunately, <laughs> the way that it's been laid out in China and Russia is you do. You have people who are just doing so terribly. Mm-hmm. And so it is a terrible representation, a terrible application yeah. of communism. It's awful. <laughs> I think it can't stand on its own. I think no. there needs to be principles from each of these economic systems applied yeah from communism socialism all of it or maybe not totalitarianism and authoritarian and maybe not that but that's just my western viewpoint talking there's not just a one shot answer no i was when i was doing the research i came across something that said the communist party realized that they could not defeat capitalism So they were like, the way we are trying to implement communism won't work in the U.S. So we have to Mm -mm. come at it from a different angle. It's not strong enough to stand on its own, even if you started a country from scratch with it. I understand what you're saying. And so I'm not going to disagree with you. I do think there are a lot of countries that function in this way where they have a classless system. I'm not going to call it communism because I don't need to subject them to our bullshit ideologies. They live relatively peacefully with their classless systems that they have set up Mm. where the entire community helps everybody get set up, right? Like what your family has is not just based on what your family can do. What your family has is based on what the community can help you achieve, right? Mm -hmm. There's these wonderful societies that are more collectivist and their mindset where the entire community helps you get set up. And so you don't necessarily have more than anybody else, but you are also not lacking either. Can I ask then, yeah. can you give an example? Because the only thing I could think of are like individual villages. It might be. I have read about these societies that are across the world, but I, I can't think of the name of one. Okay. Well, I only say that because the only ones that I know who do that effectively are villages of people. Like not necessarily the entire country. Not a whole of- country. Yeah, Indonesia, for example. It's possible that it is just villages or like pockets of communities within countries. Sure. And I think it's possible in that way. But to run an entire country, I don't think so. A country of our size? No. Definitely not. I was going to say, because it depends on how big the country (laughs) is, right? When you have a country of 330 plus million people, well, a classless system, I'm not sure if that's possible for all of us because there's there's too many people with too many different agendas 
It's a lot of fucking hate being promoted. All of this stuff, right? The yeah. village setup or like the smaller community setup is possible because We're a lot of those communal. people have the same values and from the, the outset. It's very I'm easy not to do. Advocating for segregation or anything like that. Well, we already are a segregated society. Yes. Not not in a positive way. No, because okay, for example, people talk about socialism, communism's mom. <laughs> working in countries like Finland and stuff like that. And do you know what the argument always is? And it's cringy, but oh, I get God. what they're saying. What? They say because they're not as mixed a society. Most of the Finnish people share a history, share a language, share a culture. And so socialism can work in those countries. And it rubs me the wrong way. There's truth to that. I think diversity is a beautiful thing. And at the same time, it presents a problem when you have more of it in some regard, because diversity includes people who are supremacists, who are elitists, who can't just say, yes, I have a different history from you. We can't leave it at that. We have to say, I'm a better person because I have a different history from you. Diversity includes perspectives like that, unfortunately. And so this is why we have a problem here. Yeah, I do think if we could get into people's minds and revamp what it means to be diverse, like socialism. Well, we already have a social, you know, some socialist systems, i.e. social security. People don't think of it that way, which Mm -hmm. is always hilarious when I hear it or like Medicaid, Medicare, they're like, ah, socialism would never work in America. I'm like, stop it kind of. Okay. I'm not going to tell you, but, um, I think it can't be done. You can't get into the mindset of people and say, listen, diversity does not mean anyone's better or worse. It just means they're different. Uh, That's what we're trying to do with the oncoming generations. We're trying. We're trying because we realize that's the only way things will really change. But like you said, if you're talking diversity, it's not just the good. It's the bad as well. It's the people who do think that they're superior because of their culture. It's the people who get mad that those people over there are existing. Are existing and they should be beneath us. And like... I'm going to say it because this is our hot new thing on this podcast, apparently. (laughs) Religious ideology plays a role in this. So much. It does. That's not a popular thing to say, but... It might not be, but be honest with yourselves. Like, because when you say that my God is the supreme God and everyone else's gods are not. And we're the chosen people. The the idea of a chosen people is fucked up, you guys. I'm saying it now. I stand by that. I second that. It's so weird because I'm coming out of identifying. I mean, not coming out of identifying as Christian. I've kind of been on that road for a minute. But uh, having done a lot of deep diving into what fucks our world up, religion keeps being a proponent. And it's that hierarchy as well of my God and what it says, what your religion says about people that do not subscribe to your way of thinking. It's never good. Correct me if I'm wrong. Isn't that interesting? It's never good. They ain't got good good shit to say about, oh, those people, they just believe differently and don't disrespect them because of that. Nope. Tell me a religion that says that. Listen, if it does, I would love to know. I would love to, too. Because I I might look into it like, shoot, Me too. (laughs) 
And so far as I know, we ain't got that holy book. No, like, yeah, not, those especially people not over there. the dominant religions of like Christianity, oh, Islam, and well, stuff like that. Not. They're not very um, accepting of people nope. that are not believing as they are. So that plays a role too in diversity. So I get it. I just say it's cringy. Like yeah. to me, I just hear like, well, if everybody was in Finland's case white, then uh, we wouldn't have a problem. But you could apply that if everybody was white non-disabled cishet right you could keep going because going because it's true right when you start applying these additional identities it's like these are the reasons that other people are made to suffer for being different and also i just want to say i started to take things with a grain of salt because think of who we're getting this information from when they pull finland up as a hallmark of exceptionalism this is western media idealizing another white country so it's not going to have too much negative to say they're not going to extol the the negative aspects of the things that people face in finland they're just going to be like look look how great they're doing and it's because they are not as diverse a society and that's where we messed up so you have to you have to take that with a grain of salt diversity is not a problem in and of itself it only becomes a problem because people don't get taught to be accepting of difference. Mm-hmm. And it, because you'll you'll have people who will say, well, I love everybody, <laughs> but I just don't think blah, blah, blah. They belong in my space. Or... Our kinds shouldn't be together. Mm-hmm. Stuff like that. I think you said this when we were doing our discussion breakdown, that communism values egalitarianism and not power, but as a social species, we biologically subscribe to hierarchies. I think that's why we can't escape it. There is a reason our nearest living relatives are chimpanzees. We are very hierarchical like they are. And I mean, it's worked in the past when it wasn't, you know, where people were very collectivist. But then when you got people, uh, weapons, wars and religion, I think have done the most damage. Tribalism, people like to say. Tribalism, okay, sure, maybe. But uh, I really think that once people started feeling chosen, feeling like they were deserving. Feeling like they have to fight for resources is the other like thing. The scarcity mindset. Scarcity <laughs> mindset and feeling like they were entitled and other people were not. Oh, yes. Sis. Like, I deserve your water. And if you can't defend it, you don't. Like, why didn't you just keep your water? So there was a time, and I think they said, honestly, before money, before the uh, social construct of money, where we had like a reciprocity sort of system set up and it was a lot more equal. Trading. Yeah. Yeah. And then we came up with a social construct of money and shit went downhill fast. Yeah. I mean, I think... Obviously, in times of trading, there were also still times of war because people fought for resources because people wanted to trade. And then there were instances where people were like, nope, we do not want what you have. And they were like, oh, you know, you don't. Well, everyone dies now. (laughs) Yeah. I mean, (laughs) (laughs) accurate, though. And now we don't really have that. Not to that extent. Yeah, no. We just dress it up now, but it's it's we not dress that it up sim- now. It's not that dissimilar. <laughs> so money made that change, but there's still these disagreements, and there we we still have wars over resources and stuff. That's all we war over. Present day wars, I would say most wars. Yes, mm-hmm. 
I'm going to say this. The thing about applying communism in a hierarchical society is that I'm trying to figure out how to frame this. So let's take, for instance, this push for women to enter into leadership roles in politics Mm -hmm. and then this push to end legalized segregation insofar as the black community is concerned. There is still that missing piece of dismantling the hierarchy because you can end legalized segregation. And now what you essentially are doing is saying that we just have a higher foothold in the hierarchy. You're not taking people out of it. And I think that goes for women's liberation and black liberation. I think that's why communism is not going to work out, because it doesn't work on dismantling the system the way that I talked about at the beginning of the episode. Right. Black people flocked to the Communist Party and communist ideology because they hoped it would dismantle the systems that people like the abolitionists failed to do. They failed to address those problems. Does that make sense? Yeah. In our research, I think we both came across it. We saw something that said the bridge between capitalism and communism is socialism. And I would say tenants from socialism and tenants from communism should be intertwined. Like I said earlier, take the best parts of each of those economic systems and you're always going to have issues because we can't get away from the people factor. But I think in order for communism to have a prayer of truly working, it has to be done in tandem, especially in westernized countries like the U.S., It has to be done in tandem with another system like socialism or even capitalism, the good parts of it. But people are always going to find a way to screw it up. That's just what we do. We excel at that. This is Intersectional Insights. If you like our content, leave us a rating or review to help the podcast. Check us out on Instagram, Twitter, and Facebook. And if you have any comments, questions, or topic suggestions, you can email us. I squared, I-S-Q-U-A-R-E-D, hello at gmail.com. Thank you so much for listening.